welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. My name's Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and I'm so glad that you decided to join me today. On this podcast, I talk about all things permaculture related, um, specifically related to the city, and we talk about homesteading and all things sustainable living. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Make sure, if you haven't yet, check us out on Facebook. We have a page, Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. You can find us on Twitter, at Hogs and Hens. You can also find our website, www.hogsandhensdayton.com. And of course, if you love the show, please make sure to give us a follow and give us a review if you haven't already yet. It really helps the page quite a bit. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And now it's time for the show. Hello, and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. I'm Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and I'm so glad you're joining me today for the episode I have planned out for you. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about some farm updates, and then we're going to talk about some things that are really important on our homestead that really help us to be efficient and to make the best use of our very limited time in order to make this homestead work. Um, So first, some updates around the farm. Um, We've got all four of our fruit trees planted this week. Um, So we've got the peaches and the apple trees all planted. Uh, We were able to plant about 15 different kinds of fruits, uh, mostly berries. Um, We planted a half a dozen, I'm sorry, a whole dozen elderberry plants. And then we also, and they're black elderberry. And then we also planted some uh, raspberries and they're thornless. We also planted blackberries as well as two different varieties of grapes. Um, Now, these are all things that are an investment of time. And what I mean by that, all of the things that we planted are things that are likely to not produce fruit this year, but what they will do is they will start to get established and they will provide for us in years to come. So the fruit trees, we went ahead and spent a little bit more money on our fruit trees because we went with some three-year-old trees. So what that means is that our trees are about five to seven feet tall already, and they're a little bit sturdier stems. They're not um, a, basically a little twig on a rootstock. They're they're pretty good size, and so they're a little bit more established of a plant that we're starting with. Now, that does not guarantee success. Nothing in gardening is a guaranteed success. At any point, we could still have damage to a tree. We could still have insect pressure or other pest pressure, um, and any number of things could happen. But what it does mean is that we have a better chance of survival than if we were starting with a little stick. And it means that we're going to have um, fruiting stages happening a little earlier than if we were to have planted a little baby plant. Um, So that was something that we did that was an investment. And in the gardening world, there are a lot of different things that you can do that I look at as investments. Now, in this particular case, it was a little bit of an investment of money 
for the cost of the trees to purchase a more established tree. I absolutely could have purchased some inexpensive trees that were smaller, but I would have had to wait longer for them to, um, you know, to be more established and for them to provide fruit. The trees that we planted this year were blooming when we got them, um, so I was not able to nip the buds off and prevent them from you know, having their, their buds. So there is a chance this year that we could have fruit on all four of our fruit trees this year because all four of them did indeed flower this year. We won't know whether or not they were pollinated until, you know, much later in the season. But because they, you know, are more established, we've got less time that we're going to have to wait before our trees do get to that fruiting stage. Another thing that we um, invested was some some labor. Um, so while we were planting our trees, our, we have an auger, a power auger. Um, it looks like a giant drill and it has handles on the outside that you hold with two hands. It's got a trigger and it drills a hole and it's used for things like installing fence posts. And we used it when we planted our first apple tree by drilling three large holes in a triangle shape and then using a hand shovel to, um, or a, I'm sorry, a garden shovel to dig out the space in between them, which really helped to, um, to make the whole digging process easier. Well, after we dug our first hole and started to dig our second one, the power auger broke. Um, Bob tore it apart and was going to try to fix it, but it actually is a little bit more broken than we initially realized. So we decided that that can wait, but the trees can't. So we, uh, started using our post hole diggers, which are designed again for digging fence posts and started working, but we actually ended up breaking both sets of our fence hole, uh, hole post diggers because they're old and they were not in the greatest of shape. And the, the soil that we're digging through is not exactly easy to dig through, which could mean a challenge when our trees start to mature, but we won't know until we get to that point. Either way, we ultimately ended up having to dig the holes by hand, and that was no easy task because these holes are about three feet wide by about two to three feet deep. So these are pretty good size holes that we had to put in to allow our trees to really um, you know, have enough room around their, their root balls to get really well established. So we put the time and the effort and the energy into making sure that those trees have their best chance for survival. That also means that each one of the berry bushes that we had initially planned on just using the power auger and digging some quick holes with instead had to be manually hand dug. And when I say we, really, I mean it was Bob. Bob did most of that work. I did help a little, but I threw out my back this week, and so it was mostly him doing uh, the digging. Uh, we then went through and mulched the top of our trees this week, and we removed some more of the fence panels that separate the new yard from the old yard um, to open up some of those sight lines. And we're working on cleaning up just some things that have been scattered through the years around our garden shed because we're going to be installing a an addition to our compost bin. On the back side of our compost bin, we're adding a larger bay that's going to be um, a place where we put our finished compost. Because we currently only have a two-bay compost bin set up right now. And we really needed a third bay. But we were waiting until we got closer to, to using the compost and having usable compost before we did that. Because we wanted to make sure we were setting up right. So what we've decided on is one large bay that we can drive our truck up to 
in order to get to it. Now, currently, we do not have a closed loop system. We have an open loop system, which what that means is we currently do not produce enough, enough animal manure and livestock manure to, um, and well, just manure, compost in general to sustain our current process because we are currently in the process of building and establishing a lot of our beds and guilds and things. So we currently have a resource for five-year aged horse manure, and um, it's it's good quality stuff. The dirt is black as, as can be, and it smells so rich and healthy, and it's just really loose, and it's a fantastic product. Um, <clears throat> we ended up getting a hold of that for a very, very, very low price, and we are able to purchase it by the um, pickup truck load, which is a ton of material. But that means that we have a truck that's full of manure, um, which is now a composted aged manure. And that's great, but it, it sits in the truck until we can use it all and we're shoveling it out a, a wheelbarrow at a time. Well, over time, if we have that in the truck for too long, it can hurt the suspension. So we wanted a place that we could unload the truck and have it readily available. And then also, as we go through the compost that we're making here on site, when the compost gets to that finished status, we want to be able to add it to our pile of horse manure. And so we'll have the horse manure in addition to some finished um, garden compost, which has a mix of greens and things and, and produce ends and pieces from our garden, as well as uh, shredded newspaper and shredded paper and things like that in it. So our compost is going to be a good mix, but that's one of our projects we're working on this week is cleaning up the area around that compost bin so that we can build our new um, compost bay and empty our truck. Uh, we got a lot of our planting done this week. We actually put in uh, the rest of our cabbages, our pak choy went in, and several other plants, and we were able to get that done. We got a new bed established that had the frame ready, but we didn't get it planted out last fall like we had planned. Um, instead, we got it planted out um, now. So we've got that set up and ready. And we are learning that our garlic bed um, was primarily a failure this year. Uh, we got the garlic in a little later than we had planned, and it just didn't it just didn't have time to establish before our weather changed. And so the bed was mostly filled with weeds and things like that. And so we went ahead and removed the um, chicken wire that we'd put on top of it, which we have to do that because we have a groundhog that's living in our um, under our garden shed and is liking to visit our garden. So we put the chicken wire over top of it so that they wouldn't dig out our garlic cloves that we had planted out this year. So we got that removed and some beds refreshed and just some tidying done this week. And we are planning on getting our sweet potato slips in this week, as well as some more onion sets for a second planting of onions and a few other things. So we got a lot of things going on here around the homestead. The um, grass seed that we had planted in the back area where the dogs had ran repeatedly and killed all the grass is all finally starting to pop up. So we're starting to no longer have mud holes in the backyard. So that's been pretty exciting as well. 
And we've been making our list of the next set of seedlings that need to go in the ground. A lot of what needs to go in next are things that are direct sown. So it's things like our beans, for example. We don't start those indoors. Um, we do direct sow our beans, our green beans, our cow peas, and things like that, black eyed peas. All of those things we do direct sow. So we're getting the beds ready for that and um, we'll be planting those hopefully today. If not today, it'll be tomorrow. Um, now, one of the main things that I wanted to talk about today are investments. Now, that may sound like a strange topic on a gardening channel, but what I'm, what I'm talking about aren't necessarily all financial investments. With permaculture, one of the most important things to bear in mind is that there is a little bit more of an upfront effort that you must put in and invest the time, money, energy, and effort into in order to reap effortless and rewards later and to really enjoy the return on investment. So what I mean by that, you know, we talked very early on in the series about how a garden plan is your number one most valuable resource. That's very true. But bear in mind that everything that you put into your garden has value. So if I want to establish a new bed and I want to plant in that for next year, then near the end of this season, or even now if I really wanted to, we need to get that bed established. I need to start getting those layers built in um, for the for the type of garden I'm using specifically, which are some lasagna beds uh, primarily. You know, for those, I need time in order to, to spread out the cardboard to snuff out the weeds that are underneath there in the grass seed and let that rot. I need time to to put the sticks and the dirt and the and the compost and the things in our beds to let them all settle in and let the nutrition um, that's in the soil, the nutrients, get that all well meshed together, right? And it it's a good thing to get that all done in the fall. Well, I wasn't able to get all of the things done this fall that I wanted to get in because we didn't have part of our property until the spring. So that means I didn't have time to establish beds. The good news is we are investing our time in the the new garden area and doing way more of a freeform style. I, I'm not establishing um, structured beds in there. Everything's going to be um, kind of built up on the ground. And then I'm, I'm basically covering the entire ground over time with um, plants and things to grow. Well, that still takes a lot of investment of my time in planning and figuring out exactly what is going to work best and where. So I know that um, some of the berries that I planted, I planted the ones that are thornless closest to the gate opening so that as those bushes establish, I've invested in something that's not going to tear up my arm every time I try to walk by and use the front gate. So they are not currently anywhere near the gate, but once that plant gets established, those raspberries are going to get bigger and I wanted to plan so that I've invested the right amount of time and effort into putting them somewhere where I'm okay with them establishing themselves. If I had set them up a little closer to the to the gates, I would have ran the risk of chopping some of them down when I used the gate or I would have rendered my gate useless. 
And if I hadn't put a little bit of compost around them, I would have been relying on the not so good native soil that's there, which is very compacted and gravelly and rocky and just dead soil. Um, the soil in that area is pretty much powder and gravel and rocks. It's very dead soil. So we were having to do a lot of amending to the soil on that particular property. And the way we're accomplishing that is with all this aged composted manure um, we are having to bring in, which is a um, not a closed-loop system. Now, long-term, our goal is to have a closed-loop system. What that means is that our system is more self-reliant and self-sufficient. It means that I'm not having to bring in external things like composted manure in order for us to have a functioning garden. You know, long term, we'll have the manure from our chickens and our quail and our rabbit that we can add. Now, the rabbit is going to be a cold compost. I can put their rabbit manure right in the garden and plant in it the same day. Whereas the chicken and the quail manure, I'm going to have to age that and let that sit and rot over time before I'm able to use that. And because we're trying to get the ground over there to really be fertile and useful, I didn't have the time to wait for the compost um, to, to establish itself. So I had to bring in this external third-party um, horse manure that's already aged, which means my system is still an open loop. I'm also still having to use water from our faucet um, and from our outdoor spigots because I don't currently have adequate rain collection in place that I can use then to water my gardens and my animals with. So until then, I'm still having to take an input from the water and relying on a municipal water supply. So that's something that I need to invest in. It's something we plan to invest in is um, setting up a better rain collection system for our farm to increase our ability to be self-reliant and close that loop. Now, the thing is with having these open loops are that you open yourself up to susceptibility to disease, to pests, and you're 100% at the mercy of whoever you're getting these things from. So if I'm told that the manure that I'm getting has no herbicides or pesticides and that the animals were fed non-GMO organic food, I'm wholly dependent upon that being accurate. If any of those things are incorrect, if this horse manure has trace amounts of broadleaf insecticide in it that was on the hay that the horse ate, I am completely and blissfully unaware. And without doing a soil sample on it before I put it in my garden, I'm kind of at their mercy. And the thing is, I can send off the soil sample, but it's not something I'll get back instantly. And I either have to sit with a truckload of manure that I then have to get rid of if it's contaminated or I just have to hope and trust that I am doing what's right for my garden. And for now, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I have to just sit and hope that what we're doing is best for the garden. Um, so bear that in mind that with, with the investment, it's not just the financial thing. There's also the nerves of, you know, I don't know if this is the best thing, but I'm going to try it. Um, once, the, once you get a permaculture food forest or a permaculture garden set up, the great thing about it is it becomes incredibly self-reliant. 
it slowly starts to close all of those loops and gaps into the system and allows things like mulching to naturally retain more of that moisture into your soil. It allows the soil temperature below the mulch to remain a little bit cooler, which in some cases, especially for your cool season crops, is going to extend your ability to grow because the soil is going to stay cool. It's going to slowly break down over time and release minerals and vitamins and nutrients down into the soil, and it's going to really help you over time. But that's an extra step once you get planted that you establish and set up and spread mulch to make sure that you're setting yourself up for future success. That's an investment in your future that you are establishing at that point. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about investments. Um, you know, sometimes you can do all the things you, you know, with the seedlings and you can follow every step-by-step instruction and guideline and life happens. And if you are relying on all of your seedlings for tomatoes to do their thing and life happens and you get called out and you're gone for a couple of weeks and your seedlings dry up and die, um, you know, that you have choices there. You can either start seedlings over again, let them get established and try to grow them from seed Or you can purchase some plant starts from a nursery or a fellow gardener or even a big box store if if you have to. And you can get some established plants that are starts and you can plant those. So there are different options that are available to you and they involve different kinds of investment. Um, Another thing, you know, that we are investing in for our property is we have an irrigation system. Um, It is set up and it's got a sensor on it. It knows if we haven't gotten any rain and we have it set on a timer to run. It's drip irrigation as well as some soaker hoses depending on the area. And we have it set up so it will automatically drip some some, uh, hose water, (laughs) some water from our faucet directly at the base of several of our plants so that we are, are for sure making sure that they are getting adequate um, you know, water, because if, especially in, in the, the beginnings of your plants, when you're getting them established, if you don't water them adequately, then they give up and stop trying to search for water at some point and will just die. Um, now there's another school of thought that they will really start sending out deeper roots in search of water and nutrition. And in some plant cases, that's absolutely the case, but on some, you know, once they get too dry, they're done, their roots dry out and die and the plant is no more. So, you know, what it means to invest in your permaculture setup is different for every people. And I feel like it's very important to also mention that everybody should start where you are, use what you have, do what you can, and build on it year over year. So our first year, we started out with a small little garden box. Our second year, we planted a massive garden. Now we're in our third year, and we are planting more of our permaculture food forest, and we're starting to get our tree guilds established. Um, you know, use your resources. We talk to friends and, and lots of our friends know what we're doing. And, you know, I started the podcast and was sharing my experiences with other people. And as I learn, you know, I share that knowledge. 
And I am so excited and blown away by the number of people that have reached out to me and said, hey, uh, there's this this free tree giveaway, and I know you're out of town, but I, I'm going to swing by. What kind of trees are you in, on the lookout for? And I told her, and a friend of mine picked up a pawpaw tree, and I really appreciate it. So thank you, bud, for the pawpaw tree. And... Um, you know, two of our friends know we're starting a food forest and they weren't exactly sure what that meant, but they, you know, inquired about it and they gave us uh, two other kinds of tree that we're going to be putting on. They're not fruit producing trees, but they are shade producing trees and they're going to serve a great purpose. And that is in the back of our property. There's an area where dirt and debris and trash from a neighboring property constantly just blows into our yard. Well, this means I'm going to have less plastics and metal chunks and, and soda cans and things blowing into our yard because I'm going to have these these trees established back there that are going to serve as a wind block. So not everything in a permaculture food forest has to have the purpose of being edible. There are some things that are built for structure and anchor into a garden. Um, that That's another investment that we're making, um, speaking of, of investments. I have started my, permac- my permaculture design certificate courses. Um, it is 72 credit hours of class over the course of a six or seventh month, I guess technically seven month period. Um, it's an investment of my time and my energy and I am doing it because I really want to be able to better serve you, my listener, as well as to implement better practices and improve upon what we're already doing here at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. That is a conscious effort that I have made to take the time to do this. But what that meant was this weekend I had a wedding that I was participating in on Saturday. Um, I I also have a DJ business and I'm an ordained minister and I officiate weddings. Um, this particular wedding is somebody that I really care about um, or some people, I should say, a couple that I really care about. And so that sent me an hour away from home and quite busy with wedding things. So I had to multitask because I invested in myself to take these classes and it didn't make sense to invest in these classes and not take them. So I had headphones in and I'm listening to the music, um, you know, getting ready in the morning and then bam, class starts. And so it's a Zoom call and I'm listening to my instructors talk and I'm watching the videos while I'm doing things to get my wedding party prepped for their wedding. So Sunday then I was busy doing class. I had six hours of class on Sunday and we finally had a beautiful weather day here And poor Bob was out there by himself digging all these holes. When I said we earlier, I really meant Bob. He absolutely worked his buns off to make sure that all of these things got in the ground and got established. And he very much asked for guidance on how I wanted them to be buried and how deep they needed to be planted and all the planting instructions. And while I was taking class... He was finishing planting so many of these things and taking down fence panels between our two properties so that they are all wide open and more of a a unified structure and just lots of different things. That was an investment I made and I really struggled with feeling guilty about 
um, you know, doing class and not helping in the garden in that moment. And, you know, Bob kept reminding me, but you are helping in the garden, you're learning, and you're going to be able to translate that knowledge into things that'll help us in the future. So you are helping. It's just not quite the instant gratification that you're used to. And, you know, it really stuck with me. It really resonated with me. Um, I think it's something that we as gardeners often get wrapped up in is we want to see the quick results. We want the here and now. But oftentimes with gardening, it's it's the long game, especially in permaculture. You know, I established um, six of my walking onions in the garden. Well, that's only six onions. And if I don't let them go to the flowering stage where they're creating um, the bulbets on the top, the little, um, the little baby onion sets, then I've only got six onions. But if I take the time to nurture them, let them send up those bulbets and then let those bulbets land on the ground and, and establish themselves. Now I've got my set self set up. And if each six of those plants put down six bulbets, now I've got 36 onions with no effort on my part of getting them planted. And if I let those 36 do the same, you can see how it rapidly and quickly grows and spreads and establishes a patch of onions. So the 10 minutes it took me to prepare the soil around where I'm putting those those uh, Egyptian walking onions are well invested time because I'm going to have onions that I will never have to plant again if I don't choose to. That's a beautiful thing to know that I now have an endless resource of onions for our household, or at least endless for us. And I should have enough to have an abundance to be able to share. So that's exciting. Um, you know, water. We have a, a rain barrel that we've got now, and we've got a plan for how we want to, to paint it and make the outside of that vessel look. And we're working on the design of how to best um, put it up on a stand to collect the water and then to use the water to fill our ponds and to water our animals. More importantly, to water the plants out front because there's not a spigot on the other side of our house. So the water spigot is on the back side of our house beside the garden. So if I want to water anything out front, I either have to run 70 foot of garden hose across my entire garden to reach out front or I have to hand carry one gallon at a time in a watering can and that's just time I don't want to invest because it's a lot more effort of walking back and forth and back and forth when all I have to do is establish this rainwater collection or collection or capturement system and I can water directly from that that's an investment it costs a little bit of money for the plastic container and for the, um, you know, the, the modifications to the downspouts to go into it and things like that. And it's going to involve time because we need to clean out our gutters to make sure they're clean and free flowing. And it took some time in researching rain capturement systems. Sure, I could just divert my, my gut downspouts into a bucket and call it good. But that's not efficient. And at the end of the day, I can have mosquitoes that can get in and lay their eggs. Now I've got, you know, mosquito larvae that I'm dumping in my garden. You know, there are there are systems in place to protect these things. And I need to make sure that I am investing the right amount of research into establishing them 
properly from the get-go. Um, you know, we talked with Mark last week from Dayton Microgreens, and he has invested a ton of time and money into getting his microgreens set up, established in a way that it grows as efficiently as possible. I believe, if I remember right, we're on the fifth iteration of how he's got his microgreens set up in his growing uh, in his grow room. You know, they they were initially just some some simple racks. And from there, he's added different kinds of lighting. He's added different kinds of fans because the fans are important on seedlings to make sure that you give them the semblance of wind so that they establish a a stronger stem and they put more into establishing those stems. Especially with microgreens, you want the stems and the first leaves um, to all have all of that energy in them so that you can really amplify the um, health benefits of those microgreens. So if they're busy trying to establish deep roots, then you're not eating the roots on most of these, so you're not getting all the benefits. So Mark has put a lot of work into getting that set up and picking the right substrate to grow these things in and figure out the exact ratio of seeds to use and figuring out the right amount of water to use and figuring out how to best measure the seeds and and you know picking exactly how to do things to to maximize efficiency because you know in his setup he works full time um and so does his wife and they have kids and from there they also are trying to run the microgreens business so they need to be able to get in get planted get established and move on with their day to other projects so his investment of the time and the money and the effort and energy in setting these systems up is now paying off tenfold as he's able to replicate this and as he's scaling that operation up. And I'm very much looking forward to doing that here in our garden. So here are some things that um, I really think are important for you to invest in when you are setting up your permaculture um you know, food forests. And when even just in a standard garden, um, you know, or a market garden for that matter, which is a garden that's used to grow crops for sale um, at like a farmer's market or roadside stand or more. So it's important to establish your soil. We talked about the importance of good soil already in in a previous episode, but making sure that you have good soil is huge. If you don't make sure you've got good soil and you're planting in dead soil, then you're not getting the maximum benefits of your crops. Your crops have a lower success rate. They are going to struggle more and it's just going to create more work for you. So it starts there. Establishing a good garden plan and figuring out what you're going to be growing, where you're sourcing the seeds or the starts from the for those things, and getting them ordered in time to make sure that you have them before it's time to get them planted. That's huge. Um, making sure that you are planting in a way that makes the most sense for your space. Are you using companion planting to make sure that you are um, building in integrated pest management? Are you planting oregano 
and basil and marigolds in with your tomatoes because I am because I know that the basil and the marigolds are going to do a great job of repelling tomato hornworms they're going to smell great together and I know that when I pick my cherry tomatoes I like to pick a a piece of uh, basil and just pop them in my mouth and it gives you a delicious little Italian flair right then and there So are you doing those things? Because planting those things all together are making it so that I have less work that I have to invest in picking off and getting rid of tomato hornworms. Are you planting a crop around your brassicas of um, things to, you know, keep the cabbage moths away? Are you investing in putting netting on your things to keep the cabbage moths off. The cabbage moths are starting to fly. I saw some in the front yard yesterday. I gave them a, a scowl from across the yard when I realized they were there, but it told me that I need to make sure that I net my cabbages, otherwise I'm going to lose them all. Are you planting a trap crop? You know, We're going to be establishing a ton of nasturtiums on our new property because nasturtiums are a great trap crop. They're really pretty, they're purposeful, they taste delicious, they smell good. They're just an all-around great plant to have. But do I have enough seeds to do all that I plan to do with them this year? I do because I have planned it out. But it's important to know that you've got enough seed. Um, You know, plan for some failure. And I know that sounds terrible to most people. And when I say that, people cringe. But in reality, when you're setting up a garden, it's important to plan for some of your crops to fail. Um, Not everything is going to just grow and thrive and, and turn out great. You know, even the greatest of gardeners have had aphids move in overnight and destroy a crop. Or you'll get a hungry gopher who goes digging through your garden or a skunk that will root around and eat your things. Or maybe you have birds that have picked your blueberry bushes clean. Maybe you have a problem with, um, you know, invasive species um, like, we call them pincher bugs, (laughs) but um, where you have earwigs that are just destroying your crops or Japanese beetles. All of those things are, are very common and very frequently, um, you know, the bane of a gardener's, um, you know, efforts. Well, if you plan ahead and you plant extra crops, you don't have to worry about those so much. We always joke that you plant one for the bugs and then you plant one for the critters and then you plant three for yourself. (laughs) And so if the disease or the bugs or the critters get to things, I still have a crop. So that's where investing some time and effort into, you know, these gardens are going to pay off. Investing in in uh, my irrigation system means that I don't have to spend as much time out there watering. It means that I don't have to ask a roommate to go out and water. And it means that my tomatoes are less susceptible to getting a bunch of splitting. If they're getting consistent water and they've got adequate calcium, then my tomatoes are excuse me, are less likely to um, swell. Because what happens with tomatoes when they are consistently getting the same amount of moisture and then they suddenly have a large influx of rain, what happens is those plants take up all that water really quickly and your tomatoes swell up faster than the skin can slowly grow and expand and they split. 
and then you end up with uh, dark spots and, and toughness. It opens up your, your uh, fruit for diseases and things. And so if I've got an adequate irrigation system, I have a little bit less trouble with that. And again, that's money that we invested and time that we're investing in setting all of that up. Because once it's all set up, it's really not hard to manage. I can unplug it, run some air hose or through the hoses to dry them out. And, you know, it's good to go until the spring when I hook it up to the spigot again when the danger of frost happens. So there are a lot of different options and examples of investment in um, gardening. Another thing is investing in good quality seed. Um, investing in good quality seed is important because if you're buying inexpensive um poor quality or synthetically raised crops, then that's what you're raising and putting into your body. We choose to make sure we use organic non-GMO seed. We like to use local when possible. And all of those things make for some organic non-GMO healthfully raised nutritious produce that we get to enjoy. But that's because we spend a little bit more money up front on a little bit better quality seed. A lot of them have guaranteed germination, which is huge. Um, so there's that. Setting up my seedling rig, that was an investment. I set up the time and the money. Um, we built a two-tiered seed starting um, setup in my kitchen on a south-facing window with supplemental lighting. And we are working to figure out the best way to set up an irrigation system with that. We've got a couple of ideas we're going we're gonna to trial this year. But I can start on my seedlings indoors. They're on um, a system that raises and lowers. So I can adjust the heights on it. And it's, it's a pretty good system. But it took time, money, and effort to get established because our greenhouse got destroyed last year. Unfortunately, the wind took it and it shredded the uh, the cover for it. Um, ours was a vinyl-sided greenhouse and the wind just absolutely destroyed it. So I didn't have my greenhouse this year to get my seeds started in, so I had to do something. So we... Um, we invested in our seed starting operations indoors. There are tons of different places where investing in your garden are important. Another one is tools, making sure that you have the right tool for the job. You know, we, we invested in a, an auger. It broke. We invested in post hole diggers. They broke. We invested in a good sturdy shovel and luckily it worked out for us. But now we're on the lookout for a new set of Hole, or post hole diggers because our post hole diggers are broken and we know that we need to get um, a garden shovel and we know that we need to repair or replace our powered auger because we actually have used that thing quite a lot. You know, we we purchased a concrete mixer because we were putting in all this fencing and it was so much easier for us to use the concrete mixer to get the concrete ready for, you know, setting the fence posts for all this fencing. You know, those are things that we invested in early on so that we could set ourselves up for future success. And I think it's really important in permaculture that we are always very conscious about the future and setting things up to make things easier for us going forward. 
because you can do things any number of ways. There are, there are hundreds, if not thousands of ways that you can establish your own garden or grow space, but setting it up efficiency, putting the time and the energy into setting it up for self-reliance definitely pays off in the end. Oftentimes it costs more money up front. It puts more effort and energy into the upfront planning, but I would rather do that now in my 30s. Um, I'm 37. I would rather do that now at 37 than to every year have to do all of this work, you know, later on when I'm in my 60s and 70s. By setting this food forest up now, by the time I get to my 60s and 70s, I'm going to have some trees that are 20 plus years old that are well-established fruit trees that I can go and just, you know, do minimal effort of, you know, planting a few things here and there every year. And I can just go out and harvest. And that's what I love so much about permaculture. It's that investment of the time, money, and effort up front that has so many beautiful rewards later. I so appreciate you guys listening this week. I know it wasn't a super detailed how-to this week, but I felt like it was important to give some farm updates, and I really feel like it's important to remind folks that as you work hard at getting your your permaculture designs um, you know, established, look at ways that you can streamline processes where you can make workflows easier, you know, for us putting in the the additional compost bin that I can just go fill a wheelbarrow up and take it to wherever I need that soil, as opposed to having to go and dig it out of the truck bed. That's going to be a beautiful thing. It also frees my truck bed up now so I can go get another load of mulch from our friend. And so I'm going to need mulch now that I'm doing all this planting. That's kind of how we do things is, you know, we cover our area with mulch. And so I need the truck in order to do that. So it's just another example of investing that time and effort and energy up front. So for now, be thinking this week, you have homework, be thinking this week of ways that you can make some minor changes to the way you garden that are investments for your future. Ways that you can do things now and set yourself up so that going forward and in the future, your garden is a little bit more streamlined and a little bit less effort is required of you in the future. So that's your homework. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I appreciate you all so very much. If you have not yet followed us on social media, please do so. Definitely check out our website, www.hogsandhensdayton.com. And feel free to uh, reach out on our Facebook group and ask questions. I am more than happy to answer any questions I can. Um, I am still learning myself, but I can absolutely answer to the best of my abilities. So if you've got questions, definitely hit us up there. Until then, I hope your garden is growing great and I look forward to seeing photos of your successes this year. Have a great day.